welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. It's Sunday afternoon, and uh, I said it was going to be a heads going to roll kind of week, Barton Simmons. And I did. I I guess that we always had Bobby Petrino on a little bit of uh, the you know the sands in the hourglass were certainly thinning uh, with every loss and with every embarrassing loss as well. But uh, we find out Louisville is not going to wait any longer. Vince Tyra made a decision to move on. Bobby Petrino is out with the Cardinals. Reports uh, we we're talking right now as the press conference is going on, but reports have indicated this might be a very much a, a full you know clean out the house kind of operation what does this come as any surprise you know where's your head at what do you think the next steps are in this uh ongoing saga for the cardinals no actually on our on our facebook um facebook live 24 7 sports college football show which we do every thursday at 11 30 central time i we do like a take a palooza where we sort of make a a bold prediction every week and my, my prediction this week was that we will lose another head coach to the to, to the to a firing or resignation because this thing couldn't get any worse for, for, for Louisville. Plus, there was USC could lose a cow, which we'll get to later. There was a Kansas could be Kansas State. Maybe that's Bill Snyder's farewell. There's was, there was a lot of, I feel like, opportunities for that final nail in the coffin. And I think as we – like, look, everyone who's watched Louisville can acknowledge that they have quit. Yes. They, have, they do not give a F. Yes. And, <laughs> and like – Look, man, like you can't. That's that is not is not what you want out of your team. And when you're Bobby Petrino, and when you've exhausted all the goodwill that you ever could have had, when you have a staff that's got guys that are, um, you know, getting DUIs for spectacularly before the season, when you got a bunch of in-laws and and uh, kin on your staff, when you've turned over your defensive coordinator for uh, three consecutive years, none of which have been good hires, when you have a, a buyout that's increasing over the next t- two years, when you have a Heisman Trophy winner, one of the best quarterbacks in the history of college football, and you only win eight games, like, what, like find a box that he did not check uh, and, and that, that, that doesn't involve scandal you know, personally. And which was he's already checked that box elsewhere, but like, I mean, I don't, I don't, I really don't know how they're. I mean, they, they, he, he made it so easy, right, on this decision. Like there was no choice. I think, and uh, and so on the micro level, we we had, and I think we've discussed on here the the reports of uh, all the players, you know, asking for their transfer papers, like. Yeah. You know, we're hearing that the football director of football operations might be out immediately, that all the assistants, including his kin, might be out immediately. I mean, Lorenzo Ward's going to be the interim coach, but I'm assuming that for the last two games, he will have a skeleton staff, a bunch of GAs. Yeah, a bunch of GAs are about to get called into duty right now. Yeah, and it's not like it could get any worse. Right. I mean, how, how much worse can it get? And I got NC State, Kentucky, they'll get blown out, but they're going to get blown out anyways. Maybe they'll at least play hard. I, you know, with the with the thought that this could be the a new beginning for them, uh, but 
but on a macro yeah. level, okay, so that's like, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, definitely, this is everything that's happened within this se- season, the deterioration of whatever culture Bobby Petrino was trying to install, like, that is, uh, that, that is a reason to make a move. But there's also this bigger picture thing for Louisville Athletic Director Vince Tyra, where Petrino is the last remaining piece of the right. old regime. Right. There, you know, athletic director Tom Jurich is gone. Rick Pitino's gone, and Vince Tyra was the one who hired Chris Mack from Xavier. Something that was lauded by many. I mean, time will tell. But I, I was among the basketball scribes who came out and applauded Louisville for saying, "That's our guy. Let's go get him." And so I think that there was this was always probably in in the back of the minds. I mean, Papa John is gone too. Like, right. It's just uh, he was the last part of the old guard, and it is not poetic. I don't know about ironic, but it is funny. Let's just keep it simple. It is funny, not haha funny, but the fact that he did not go down with scandal when that's what took out everybody else. And when he had that history of scandal, that it was just losing football games the old-fashioned way that finally turned the page at Louisville Athletics. Yeah, and obviously the other looming point here is that Jeff Brom, the native son, the Louisville native, the Louisville alumnus, the the guy whose dad still coaches at Louisville Trinity, who is one of the hottest young coaches in college football, is is out there. Yeah. And if you miss on him, that's that's a mistake that will haunt you forever. And and even if they don't get him, I I just I tweeted I tweeted the names, you know, Neil Brown at Troy. Mike Norvell at Memphis, Scott Satterfield at App State. I mean, you could absolutely get one, if not all, of those guys. And I, I it's hard for me to envision a scenario where those guys aren't successful. Mm. And, you know, I mean, th- th- I feel like those are all can't-miss coaches. You know, are they national title coaches? Are they Nick Saban? Uh, I don't know. They're, they're, but they're all good coaches that would improve – the program dramatically and put him on, uh, put it on a much more stable footing. So it's it's just a there is. I mean, yes, this is going to cost money. You got to buy out uh, Petrino. You got to buy out his staff, and you've got to pay Brom or whoever five million plus, and it's going to cost money. But you, you know this this is this is this, this is the time to do it. There's just no other time. Um, I think that not everybody can succeed there. I think that Louisville has to get Brom. I think that we're dealing with that. I think that as as good a job as Neil Brown or Scott Satterfield or Mike Norvell have done, I think that the competition in that division is too tough right now to assume that it's it would not it would take something dramatic uh, and a couple of good breaks because do you do you think Syracuse is going anywhere? Like, I don't, I don't know if Wake Forest. I don't know how long Dave Clawson's going to stay there. I guess he's already exceeded his four years and move on. Um, I, you know, NC State under Dave Doran, and then you throw uh, obviously Clemson on there. I, I think that that needs to be a that needs to. And Jeff Brom's already shown at Purdue. He showed up seven and six first year. You beat Ohio State year two. I I don't know what it's going to take. And I don't know how much horse money they got to collect, but like, I just, I think you've got to go get Jeff Brom right now and that anything else is going to be looked at. How about this? It's at least going to be looked at by the same fans that you need to show up and support the new program. It's going to be looked at 
as a disappointment? Uh, well, yeah, it would be a disappointment, but I guess... Like, I feel I just, like you're almost readying yourself and or fans for Jeff Brom to go to a better job or a different job or for him to stay at Purdue, which is also part of the equation. Yeah, I mean, I, if, even if I'm Brom, while he's got to be attracted to this, and this has always sort of been presented as his dream job, it, it would there would be, I would think, some some allure to just sticking this out with Purdue a while longer. You got a really good recruiting class coming in, and you've 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 already done the heavy lifting, the the the, the things in motion over there. Um, do you really want to go and start from scratch again at Louisville? I, I don't know. I don't know. It'll be it'll be really interesting to see. But I I guess look, none of those guys I mentioned maybe would be as big of a home run as Brom. And and yes, the division is is competitive. But look, if they hire Scott Satterfield and he goes to Louisville, I I I just think he's that good where I don't nothing you know, none of these other coaches intimidate me to where he can't get are they going to win the division every year? Are they going to become Clemson? I'm not saying that, but I think that they certainly become an NC State level program to where they're consistently nine and three or eight and five. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, you were in Tuscaloosa. Did you drive back last night or fly this morning? Drove back last night. <sighs> uh, had some entertaining radio games and got back in time to see the the downfall of Troy, uh, the fall of Troy. Uh, so I did I did feel like I, I was able to absorb a little more than, uh, than the previous weekends. Um, but but yeah, I got uh, I got a close look at the mighty Crimson Tide. The uh, this is the this was a great game to see uh, Alabama at field level. I'm jealous of that. So when when you're looking at Alabama's offensive line going up against uh, Mississippi State's defensive front uh, from television from home, it certainly looked like this was the first the most that we have seen that group tested all season. Did that look like more of a Mississippi State uh, compliment, or did that look like potentially one of the places where we're going to be looking at Bama? Because the I don't know if you heard, the talking point on the broadcast at least was Gary Danielson saying, hey, you know what? You're definitely going to be having conversations between Kirby Smart and Mel Tucker or Kevin Steele and Gus Malzahn looking at this tape and trying to figure out what they can glean from it. Now, obviously, I give Georgia a better chance of gleaning something and putting it into use than Auburn. But did did you feel like you started to see some uh, some places where they're not looking as invincible? Um, so a couple things. Before the game, I ran to the Mississippi State defensive coordinator, Bob Shoup, and it was funny to sort of uh, you know, I was like, "Hey, what's the you know, how they look?" And he was like, kind of shrugged and laughed, like this. You know, they got the best player in college football at quarterback. They got, you know, every one of those receivers in the tight end are first rounders. The all the running backs are NFL guys. They got a, a, a great offensive line. He was like, well, "We're gonna give it a try." And and it's sort of it. It really is this massive undertaking to try to attack this team. And I was like, well, "What are, what are you even gonna do? How do you even try?" And he was like, "Well, we're gonna try to get them." get him to some third downs. I think we got a chance if we get to some third downs. And and it's sort of this, but he said, we're going to keep doing what we do, and we'll try to get him some third downs. And and sure enough, like through the first drive of the game, first two drives of the game, it was like, whoa. You know, Mississippi State's given up nine touchdowns in, in what was it, nine games. And 
They've given up two touchdowns and two drives to this Alabama team. What what is this monster we're watching? But then, uh, but but then they settled in. Yeah, and they got into some third downs. And sure enough, you know, I think they had seven third and longs over the course of the game, and didn't convert one of them. They had six hundred six punts and and a and an interception. And I I I credit a few different things. One is I look not not many teams in college football are as good as Mississippi State defensively, particularly up front. Uh, with 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 Sweat and Simmons and Willie Gay played a great game at linebacker, and so that that's point A. But I think they also they kind of strayed away from the run game, and part of it was Deontay Brown went out with an injury, and Lester Cotton came in, and I think that 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 seemed to really affect the Alabama run game, and and secondly, I mean, do you, do you remember the the pick by Willie Gay? came immediately after Willie Gay sacked right. Tua and Tua got up a little gingerly and I don't know whether I'm just reading into it or or but I suspect it's real I think he was really like thinking about his leg more so than the the play in front of him on the next play and I and I think that that so I mean look a beat up Tua is is not the, the, the Tua that we saw for the first seven weeks of the season. and He's got two picks in got, two games. If we got to beat up Tua the rest of the way, then that's a very different Alabama. And 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 not to say that this is I, – I, I wrote a column after the game. I said this is, this is still the best team in the country. But kind of like, you know, Rocky and Drago, they, they – they, you know, Mississippi State cut them. They, they they bled like we we can all see that this is this team is not just a uh, a, a, a machine. We can see that this team is, you know, if if you play the perfect game, you got a chance. Now the thing is, Mississippi State didn't play the perfect game offensively. They Boo. Look, look, yeah, it was bad. Like the moment looked too Man. big for every every time that the crowd made a little noise, they had a delay a game. God. They had a, a you know a, a, a timeout or a. You know, off football, like they have miscommunication. Like they just every time they needed a big play, they screwed it up, and it didn't help that the the referees screwed them on a on a fumble that should have counted in what was the first drive. Um, it didn't help that they had a phantom clipping call or block in the back penalty that erased a touchdown. But you know what? Like that that block in the back that erased the Mississippi State touchdown at the end of the half. They also was a wide open receiver on the next play that that Nick Fitzgerald missed. There also was a delay of game where they would have otherwise scored a touchdown, and and then they what they missed a field goal or they they had a bad snap or something to kick them out of field goal. Like so, Mississippi State played so far from a perfect game offensively, and that's a very flawed offense. And so, my my takeaway from the game was with a injured Tua or with a beat up Tua with a beat up Jalen, uh, and with a and and with a offense that is is still maybe the best in college football but that got throttled a little bit uh, against Mississippi State this team while they remain the best in college football like we can we can start talking about that they are beatable you know like it's, it's a, we're allowed to have that conversation of this team is beatable but the the conversation of uh, them being head and shoulders above everyone else I'd like to think that on this podcast it is mostly it it has always kept in mind the idea that they were beatable. Like in my head, it's always been 
I don't think they're going to lose before the playoff, but yeah, let's get to the playoff. Let's take some time off. Let's break the routine. Let's let's see what happens when they go up in a one-off scenario against another one of the best teams in the country. I've always thought they were beatable. It was just everything, you know, before then is what I've always, uh, what, I've what always I didn't. Thought, I've always thought Clemson could beat them. I'm curious. I'm I am now intrigued, and I I don't think I'm not I'm not saying Clemson will beat them. I'm saying Clemson is capable of being Alabama. I am now interested in what this Alabama team, you know, how they respond to this, what their offense looks like moving forward. Because let's be honest, like, as good as their defense is playing, Mississippi State's very flawed offensively. And so Georgia will be a, a, a really interesting test there. And I'm just curious, like, what Georgia will look like against them. I'm curious whether Notre Dame could play with them, um, whether Michigan could play with them. I, I, I was dismissive of those scenarios before and I'm, I'm more willing to entertain that they could be competitive in, in those games now okay so you've you've seen Georgia and Alabama in back-to-back weeks you know and that was like one of Georgia's best performances last week this was one of the more challenging performances for Alabama this week how do you handicap that matchup right now gosh I uh I think if if Tua is, I still think if Tua is eighty percent, it's hard for me to envision Georgia being able to to keep pace. I just think Alabama's offense will be able to get too many points. I, I don't think I I don't I don't think that Georgia's defense is as good as Mississippi State's defense. So that that's like, that's a big caveat here is that they they played like a probably a top five defense in the country against Mississippi State. Would you do you agree with that? Probably. Uh, I don't know. I haven't like so Mississippi State. Do you think Mississippi State is Michigan good? Michigan no. good is how I've I been think, defining the I, best defense in the country. No, that's what I'm saying. I think Michigan and Clemson are are probably one two in that order. Or I mean, I, the way Clemson's playing right now could be flipped. But I think they're the best two. Right. But that's what I'm saying. Top five. Like they are Mississippi State in in a one game setting. They're. And Georgia and Georgia is not a top five defense. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. They're playing well. They're playing they're some playing of the best. Well, yes, they're playing yeah. good enough. Yes. They're playing good enough. I just don't know if they're if they're I just don't know if they're good as Mississippi State's. Um and so you know, I still think Alabama will be able to get some points. And the question is what can Georgia do against the defense? And and, and how much is this Alabama's defense really becoming that dominant? And how much is it playing uh, a, a couple flawed offenses. I mean, Mississippi State's even more flawed than, than LSU probably given just sort of the, the one-dimensional nature of it. Which, again, man, like I don't – not to dig too deep on this, but that's weird to me that they can't be better, that this has gone so south offensively in one year under Joe Moorhead. And it also seemed like it was not that tough an offense to defend. Like they didn't – there's no eye candy. There's no window dressing. There's nothing to, to make a defense – play slower they just did a couple of little you know they just moved the running back around um in the backfield a little bit and that's it and and i just i wonder why that is that they haven't you know that joe moorhead doesn't want to create some more conflict for or just make the defense think a little bit but that's probably a you know that's that's probably neither here nor there no no i i think it is among my list of season disappointments and maybe not disappointments as far as uh maybe just something that I thought I could count on that I was just way off on. I guess I say disappointing because I want 
Joe Moorhead and Mississippi State and Nick Fitzgerald. I wanted that to be something that worked because it was productive, because it was fun to watch, because uh, it it seemed like it was going to be the perfect recipe. It felt like uh, when you go into one of the like uh, a pizza place that really brands itself as having a lot of different exotic mixtures, and you see a couple ingredients you like on the same pizza, and you're like, "All right, cool, let's roll with it." And it was just bad. And it's been that way all season. And I just, I, th- I would not be surprised. And I don't know if, the, if this is the kind of headline worthy stuff, but like if you visit Starkville and talk to Joe Moorhead in, if there ha- hasn't been any official staff changes, I would bet that there's adjustments coming because it's important to remember this is Joe Moorhead being a head coach again. And I think that he's got to look at everything from communication to who who's calling what, I mean, just something's not right because I'm with you. That was, that was uh, it, again, I booed because that was I felt like I was booing the television. I was so unimpressed by it. Well, the, I mean, look, Joe Moorhead made made no bones made made it made it crystal clear that the offense was his. I mean, I think he was expecting to to be able to. Claim some rewards for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he thought he was going to be able Play. to brag about that. He didn't yeah, realize he was yeah. going to have to make excuses. Yeah, this is backfiring a little, little bit. I mean, it's yours now. You know, you, you you said it's yours, so it's it's on you to get it fixed. So I don't know what changes you make if, if you're the guy that's calling all the shots. Mm. Um. All right, so we got Georgia took care of business so here, against uh, Auburn. Do you have a, any questions? Here's a question that I have for you. All right. Because I think this, this could take us to another, another game here, but – who do you think is better, Mississippi State or Boston College? Boston College. I with, think Boston with, College is better too. With a healthy quarterback, Boston College. Because that was another wrinkle of last night's game that, you know, you just kind of shake your head as a college football fan because it would have been a better game if Anthony Brown is there for the entire game. And yet, and still, you kind of got to tip your cap. I mean, what did they do defensively? I'm pulling up the stats right now. They held Boston College to... 2.9 yards it? per rush, 113 total yards yeah. of offense. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that defense is, you know, we kind of been talking about how the Trevor Lawrence has unlocked the offense, but that's, you know, that's not really the story. The really, really the story for Clemson is just their defense is now, over the last month and a half, playing like the defense that they were supposed to be from week one. Agree. You know, and so, um, so and and again, I, this is a little bit apples to oranges. So you can't really compare the two performances because Tua got banged up, and um, you know, bo- uh, Boston College's quarterback got hurt, and both were just—you could tell—both were just sort of. Well, I didn't watch the Clemson game. I, I listened to some of it on the radio, but for Alabama, you could certainly tell. Look, they knew Mississippi State wasn't going to be able to move the ball, so at some point they were just like, "We'll we'll get out of this. We'll just let's just get out of this thing with a win," and. And, but it, but what I'm getting at, I guess, is I mean, they're, they're against similar teams. One would argue Miss Boston College may even be better. They kind of were equally dominant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Agree. It, it, it furthers that point that let's, let's start, let's start broadening this, this conversation to, to a, a two, two team deal at the top. You, you ready to hear me just expand it again? Cause I thought Notre yeah. Dame made the same impression on me. To go in I was there, wondering. Yeah, yeah, it was really impressive. It was very like uh, that was going on at the same time at Clemson, and that all happened right after Alabama. And I watching all three of these undefeated teams all very much prove 
to be, you know what all three of them did? They all imposed their will early and left no doubt. And that's what championship teams do. And I feel very confident that even while on paper, there might be a hundred ways for you to talk yourself out of the idea that Notre Dame exists on this plane with Alabama and Clemson, just I guess based on the raw talent in terms of the football they've played and the football that they are playing right now, I, I, I'm ready to slide them up there, man. I, I was really, really impressed with Notre Dame uh, last night. One of my biggest takeaways probably from the day. Well, this was sort of their answer to what <clears throat> Michigan did last week against Penn State. Because like, like that, was, that was what bothered me a little bit about the narrative last week. Is, oh, now Michigan crushed Penn State. And now it's like, well, I mean, they're clearly the third best team in the country. And uh, yeah, sure, Notre Dame beat them in week one. But let's be honest here. I mean, look what they did at Penn State. It's like everyone forgot that two weeks earlier that they just sort of barely beat Michigan State. And everyone forgot that just because Notre Dame, um, you know, whoever they played last week, that it, it was, I mean, I think it was Navy or someone, they won by 20, ho-hum game, but they can still sort of crush people too. And I, I'm not, I just wasn't ready to say that somehow Michigan was this, this decisively better team than Notre Dame. And I think now Notre Dame responded with their sort of statement win, like, yeah, okay, Florida state, come on up here. Um, and, and, and have a seat and we'll, we'll teach you a few things because that, that was, I think Notre Dame's reminder to everybody that this is not 2012. They're not surviving games. Right. They and even the Pitt game that everyone was dogging them on. Pitt's playing great football right now, and so I, I think it's. <clears throat> I'm gl- I'm, I'm kind of glad that Notre Dame did that. That we can that we can shift the conversation back to like, all right, Notre Dame's doing plenty of work themselves, and let's stop overlooking them for the sake of of the shiny thing that Michigan is in terms of their, you know, a couple dominating wins. But to have all of that sort of happen in the same. I guess six seven hour period really drove it home because uh, here's hey, here's what I saw from Clemson um, that was you know I I had been pointing to Trevor Lawrence not really putting in work Boston College showed up and was making it very very hard on Clemson's ground game they they were not getting the kind of success they were not getting the kind of push that they wanted uh, shocker Zach Allen was an absolute monster made himself a bunch of NFL money last night with a ton of scouts in the house. He was all up in Trevor Lawrence's grill, making like, like Lawrence was under duress for most of the night. 29 for 40, I think was his final stat line, about 250 yards through like, you know, four or five beautiful deep balls connected on a couple of them. A lot of the yards were coming from, you know, your short pass to uh, Amari Rogers or T Higgins, but man, they, they, he had to go out there and make some plays for them to be successful on offense. And they didn't put up a lot of points. They were not, they were not great uh, in the red zone, but for him to get challenged like that, I think was important. I think that that he went, he went up against an NFL, a defense with like four or five definite NFL players. And to face that challenge, I think has him more prepared for the college football playoff. Agreed. In a hostile setting and cold weather that he's not used to and, and just sort of all the all the elements against him. And granted, you, you know, how much pressure do you ever have when you got a defense that's holding the opponent to uh, whatever Clemson did? But I, I think it was that was and again, I didn't I didn't see it with my eyes, but uh, to, to get out of there with a win and and to be 
to, to, to get enough done, I think is, is that, that's, that's telling and, and it means something. Um, okay. So Notre Dame was awesome. Oh, we, let's, let's get to USC. So you mentioned, this is, I saw you tweet this. You're sounds like you're, you're done. We're ready to get talk to Ryan Abraham and get him to talk about his two rules for the next USC hire, because you think this is a wrap. Dude, it, it's, it's SC. I know. It's, you know, I mean, you, I, I'm, I'm all for and, and, and look, I don't want to be out here calling for a coach to be fired. Like it's, it, I, I just think I don't see how he keeps it. I don't see how Lynn Swan recaps this season and is like, yep, we're in good shape. You are USC. And I don't – like a down year is is eight and five at worst. You know, you would hope nine and three is a down year. They're, they're about to be six and six. I mean, maybe they get to seven and five, pull a big upset against Notre Dame. Notre Dame. I don't see that as a, as a realistic scenario. Maybe they go five and seven and lose to Chip Kelly. But six and six looks like the most likely scenario. I wonder if the, wonder if the line is in that USC, UCLA game. But, Fic, but, yeah, fixing to take UCLA. Right. But I mean, so at six and six, with no real viable excuses for why you're six and six. I just don't see how you can look at him and be like, "Yep, this is this is our guy." Yeah. And I think you, you can make a like. I think it is important and smart to be patient with coaches, um, you know. And I think there's there's probably some out there like uh, uh, Will Muschamp at you know iron down seven and five when they were supposed to be nine and three or ten and two and com- contend for the East. You know what? Just sit tight, and the th- things may. Things may turn. I think there's reason to be uh, to, to stay the course there. You know whether it's um, I don't you know Baylor. I mean they're improving. Uh, whatever. If I, it look like they may get to six wins. I mean not not that there's I, there's a, there there are there are times to be patient. But at, at, if you're if you're USC and you're going six and six, I just don't know how that's excusable. And it wasn't a like that's it's not even like that was a. I mean, they just flat out, they, they just look kind of inept. Yeah. Like they just can't figure out how to get out of their own way. And they're not they're not losing to good teams. They're they, just losing to average teams. They don't look like a good football team, period. Oh, uh-uh. The only thing that keeps them in a, like, that's, it. didn't you introduce this thought experiment? Like, bring somebody in who's never seen college football before, who doesn't know what uh, USC is or doesn't know what kind of high school you know, ratings or prospects these guys were, and you watch that game and you're like, man, Cal is the better coach team. Cal is the better football team. Absolutely. They don't have a quarterback like that team in red. uh, Somebody would be able to recognize the difference in quarterback play, sure, but just in terms of cohesiveness. How about that? I just, I don't see any cohesion with this USC team. Haven't all year. And I don't see any, I mean, the other problem, and I've said this several times here, but I mean, I don't see improvement there. I don't see them get better over the course of the season. I don't see them getting better year to year. I don't see players getting stronger and, and more athletic. They're just they're the same guys that they were when they got there. And that's a problem. And that that falls on the head coach. And I just I mean, Clay Helton is there there's not a more uh well liked guy in college football. I've never heard anybody say a negative thing about him from as a person. 
and and you root for a guy like that. But at some point, man, if you're USC and you're going six and six, that's not good enough. No, not at all. Uh, all right, so that final game against Notre Dame is at home. They are at UCLA playing in the Rose Bowl for the rivalry game next Saturday. That's an afternoon kick. Do you keep Clay Helton on through the end of the season, make the move this week, or make the move after the UCLA game? I don't know. It's a political decision because you've got the Notre Dame home game at the end of the year because it's a terrible look if no one shows up to that game, no one cares, and you get blown out. But if that's going to happen anyway, do you just let it happen? Just let let it run its course, coach. Look, maybe maybe you maybe you root for him, and you just say, I mean, I I I've, if I'm Lynn Swan, I've lost a lot of confidence, and and I've lost faith in this thing. But maybe you just look. Yes, he's well liked. He's well respected. Coaches like him. Players like him. Administrators like him. All right, go beat UCLA and go beat Notre Dame. You know, finish this thing seven and five, and you got a true freshman quarterback. And if you beat the number three team in college football, then I'd say you may have earned yourself another year, buddy. Uh, so maybe, maybe you just, maybe you do that. Um, cause beyond that, I, I just, I just don't know where, where you find the optimism. Now I know that you, uh, you still need to, I assume put your, put your eyes and give it the, uh, the Barton breakdown treatment. But, uh, on the surface, how are you feeling about your beloved Oklahoma Sooners? <laughs> I'm, yeah, I know, man. I'm starting to, I'm, I'm, I'm questioning it, questioning it a little bit. I mean, I've been saying, I think, look, I mean, this, this weekend, I think my, my new take is, I don't think they're a top four team. I, I think the four are the four. They're, you know, they're the, they're Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Michigan, um, that everyone else's four are. And that's it. I, I'm I'm done with the conversation of yeah, you know what Notre Dame should be in, in the four because they deserve it. But I still would think Oklahoma is better. I don't necessarily think Oklahoma is better. I just I but I'm still compelled to believe that Oklahoma is not a team anyone else in the playoffs wants in the playoffs. Sure. They don't. They they still don't want to play that Oklahoma team. Right. And I and I think that Oklahoma team is still capable of beating anyone. And for whatever reason, I feel like winning the way Oklahoma's winning is 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 looked down upon in a way that if Michigan was beating teams fourteen to three and holding them to one hundred and twelve yards of offense and only you know, only putting up you know two hundred or three hundred and fifteen yards of their own offense, but man, that defense like I feel like for some reason that gets more playoff respect. Of course, it does. But I don't know that that should be the case. I, I feel like this Oklahoma, this is just who they are. All right, they're going to outscore people. But and I, and I don't think that that means they're a top four team. But I do think it, and and they're they've sort of are already blowing my my sort of um, scenario that I've presented that they start winning sexy and jump another one loss team. If you're going to nearly lose to Oklahoma State, you you sort of cash that ticket. Uh, I mean, stylistically, they are not only working against biases that might be built in against uh, a different, more up-tempo, wide-open style of play, but Oklahoma specifically is dealing with its own biases that are built in from all the way back to Florida-Oklahoma National Championship game, you know? 
I mean, just just the idea driven home in the minds of college football playoff selection committee members that it's like, yeah, we see them do that in the Big 12, but you know, you line them up against that Florida defense, I don't think they'll be able to do it like that. And that's why I thought the Rose Bowl last year was so uh, like it's it used for that conference. It was yeah, I mean, it, it just it kind of uh, it shaped things a little bit. Right. It, cha- it changed that perception that was built in from the BCS era, but Oklahoma's still going to fight it. And I just, you know, the, I guess the good news is uh, if you are an Oklahoma fan that with what's ahead, as we've mentioned before, if you go to Morgantown and you beat West Virginia and then win the big 12 championship game, which now might be looking like it could be Iowa state, which who knows, but if that's the case, then you are, uh, you know, you've you've got as much of a shot as you could ever ask for. And the, that offense, if you can get through without any more losses, then it might be worth its medal. By the way, Oklahoma State should have won. Yeah. That, that, that two-point play, I mean, Taylor Cornelius threw for 500 yards, but he, the Tyler Wallace was, was wide open. He just, that was just a bad, like an inexplicably bad throw. Uh, I feel like he just sort of sh- choked on it. But that... They should have completed that pass and won that football game. Texas Tech probably could have or should have won that football game too. Yeah, I was listening to that one on the radio, which was a very entertaining listen. Uh, like when the two point, like to, for that game to go from potentially forty two forty two to forty four forty at that point in the game was huge. Uh, when Oklahoma ran the Texas Tech two point try back. Right, right. Well, but but what I was thinking was when that when they scored with a minute 45 left i was like oh they that that was way too quick like they're not going to be able to get this stop um and you know and sure enough our boy sam iconic ellinger mr clutch goes down and gets it done for texas i mean that was that's that's the kind of to to do the Crabtree in the Crabtree corner uh gives Texas fans that you know like emotional satisfaction of success that will carry them through uh not being in the Big 12 championship game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure that was Optically, I'm sure that Texas fans were very happy with the way that finished. Um, what about Ohio State, Michigan State? That was that was probably my most. By the end of the week, on all on the sports line betting shows, I had actually changed my pick to Ohio State. On Friday, I picked Ohio State, uh, unlike my locks pick where I picked Michigan State. Um, but it seemed like that was just a. You know, Michigan State uglied it up, but they uglied it up a lot more on their side than they did on Ohio State's side. That game was so woeful, the fans were leaving before the end of the third quarter, and it was like a 14-point game. Hey, uh, tell me what you think of this. Does, do you, does that game, because stylistically, Michigan State is much more similar to Michigan than the teams that than Nebraska – or, or Purdue, or the teams that have given Ohio State some trouble. Does that game 
create some 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 doubt in your mind that this this Michigan Ohio State matchup is pretty far from a given. The Michigan yes game. yes yes does for me yes does for me different big all right. So here's what I've got as sort of the the big difference. Number one, I think that that was one of Greg Schiano's best coaching jobs of the season, and I thought that. Some of that is because Michigan State is a limited team, you know, and that I think preparing for Michigan State is easier than preparing for Michigan because even at its surface, whether it was Brian Lewerke or my boy Rocky Lombardi, like it, that's that's not Shea Patterson. You know, there, there are limitations there. And so I thought that Ohio State just so very early on had all of the answers and then Michigan State made adjustments and Ohio State had answers there. And it was just like by the by halftime, you just understood that Michigan State was not going to be moving the ball. And so for Ohio State's defense, a group that had been kind of ripped apart, I don't know if I give all of the – I mean, the players have to go out there and execute, you know, point, point. Like that has to happen. And Greg Schiano would have to replicate that kind of excellent game plan and the Buckeyes would have to replicate their execution of an excellent game plan. But I – I still didn't see anything from Dwayne Haskins, who I thought didn't have a great game, and I didn't see anything from Ohio State's offense that particularly makes me think that they're going to be more of a threat to Michigan's defense, which I think is even better than Michigan State's. Like I, I, I mean, look, I, I picked Michigan in the playoffs preseason. I, I have been and, and still am a big Michigan proponent and believer, but the matchup in that game specifically, like I, if we were picking it today, I, I would pick Ohio State. I really think I would. Now we'll see if I change my tune over the next two weeks, but I just, I think that that plays to Ohio State's strengths and 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 deficiencies a lot more, a lot better. So Ohio State's I, I, offensive I, line is kind of a mess. I I, I will have I'll throw that take out. I thought Ohio State's offensive line was a mess, and I thought Haskins was kind of off, and I thought that in the same way that Ohio State, or in the same way that Alabama, just even after things slowed down, there was just no stress because you had a two-touchdown cushion, and you just knew that Mississippi State had no chance to score, Ohio State did a lot of punting. I mean, the punter was the player of the game. Ohio, right. Urban Meyer was more than happy to play field position and had no concern. I mean, the- but if, if you're let, let me put it this way, if if Ohio State, I think what I don't have confidence in is, I think Michigan offensively is not built to put a bunch of points up on Ohio State, and if you keep on giving Dwayne Haskins chances, I I think he's going to cash in on a few. There's no reason to go, you know, to overly analyze this game two weeks in advance. I just think, as as we get towards it, uh, I'm I'm gonna have some temptations to 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 ride with, with the Buckeyes. We'll we'll see if I change my mind. Um. Okay. So West Virginia was very very impressive. That game. Were you tracking it to see the explosion where it's like three nothing TCU at the end of the first quarter, three to three in the second quarter, and everyone's getting their uh, upset alert sirens and what just when you counted Gary Patterson out takes warmed up and <laughs> then three straight West Virginia touchdowns before halftime put the game away. It was, it was well, nice. Remember, 
Do you remember when we had a, you know, we looked at West the TCU after they lost to was it Kansas? Yes. Uh, and we said, I think I said, like I I could see them winning their last five more more likely than only going two and two for three or two two and three in their last five, and looks like zero and five is more likely. Yeah, I mean they don't have anybody. Uh, they don't. What, I guess one and four would be. Yeah. Uh, no, I, that was after Oklahoma, and they go and lose to Kansas, and then you know they beat Kansas State, but they're. I mean, I don't. They're not likely to be Baylor, and they're not likely to be Oklahoma State. That's just, this has been a disaster season. I mean, there's look. There are some teams that are just ragtag groups right now, and like your your only benefit if you are a part of that program is whatever small microscopic gains you get in terms of the 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 extra effort or whatever grit and grind and whatever you know whatever unity is built among that locker room from having to overcome adversity you know i th- i think about wake forest like what if wake forest makes a bowl game with 14 players out for the season yeah that would that would say something to me and like same thing with TCU whatever they can salvage from the season that's all you can hang your hat on because you look at the personnel on the field and it's just it's just not the football team that was that is ready to be competing at a power five level right now. Agreed, and I guess this is. I mean, they they've lost like like nine safeties or something insane. Yeah, <laughs> like that. I mean, granted, they have more safeties on the roster than most, anyways, but still pretty ridiculous. Um, I told you Kentucky was going to lose to Tennessee. I know, I know. I wish we had picked that one as a, as a lock because that just. I feel like so many people were sniffing around it, and even when the when the lines first came out on Monday or Sunday or whatever, I was like, "What? That's a weird line." But the the more you sort of inch closer to the weekend, the more I was like, "This feels like it has the makings of 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 a big Jeremy Pruitt showcase." Right. Uh, and sure enough, man, that was a huge win for them. Uh, any other questions or anything else that stood out uh, for you from the weekend gotta, before we dive gotta, into the the film lab? Before next week's next show this week, uh, we got a Big Ten West champ, yeah. Northwestern. Northwestern. <laughs> Congrats, to the Wildcats. I'm still, uh, I still don't take them seriously. I should, I'm, but it's a tough, I mean, it's it's a tough, it's a tough sell for your boy. They're a little, they're kind of what I mean. They're they're very Michigan Statey. How about is there anyone I remember in the before the season? when I go and make predictions for every, basically every major team and do a video for it, I think I picked Miami like 10 and 2. And, and, and Miami fans were like, 10 and 2? Oh, yeah, right. 11 and 1 at worst. Like it was just sort of like... <laughs> I, that, was, that was a turn. I did not know that's where that was going. Just disgusted. That like, or I, I, I don't know what... I, maybe I picked a 9 and 3. I certainly didn't pick them any worse than 9 and 3. It, and I... And I feel like I might have picked them 10 and 2 and I remember being like dumbfounded that like Miami fans were that like that optimistic that sure that this was you know a, a potential national title contender and wow man 5 and 5 that's another team that's dealt with some injuries but still that's that is one of the more disappointing years I got to believe yes just based on what they thought they would have the tra- trajectory they thought they were on and now they're five and five losing to Georgia Tech. That is Miami's fall this year 
has been as impactful on the reputation of the ACC as Florida State's. That's probably fair. I mean, you you carry that number ten going into the season, and then you you turn in this product that's losing to Duke and Georgia Tech. Nah, that's 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 a fall from grace. That's very very public, and uh, and is is going to everyone was thinking Miami. You're you know you're going to provide the challenge to Clemson, and now we're not even sure if they're going to make a bowl game. Yup, they got to play Virginia Tech and Pitt. I think. Man, man Pitt. How about Pitt? Hey, I, they just run the ball well, and that's good enough to win the Coastal. Yeah, that really like. I can't imagine. Like, oh, I just wonder what they would look like in just about any other division in college football. Uh, probably uh, they probably closer to what their non-conference was about like right. one and four, two and two, something like that. Right. Right. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I got to go hop on CBS Sports HQ. Watch CBS Sports HQ. That's Barton Simmons. Follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Barton, thank you very much. Good luck.